Hello. Hey, welcome. Welcome to an exciting edition yes. of Anxious Only in Austin. Uh-huh. Um, we have Thomas Nickman here in person. I feel like I'm a guest... You're a guest speaker. Get, guest guest speaker today, even though this is my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Anxious in Austin podcast. I'm Dr. Marianne Stout. And Dr. Thomas Smithyman. Um, and our topic today, which is timely and in the news, as we're doing a lot lately. It's, it's in the news? I just read you this whole article about it. Oh, that was in the news? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the idea of, like, accommodations or accommodating to anxious people. Basically, how loved ones can help their anxious sufferer, their anxiety sufferer, mm-hmm. in a productive helpful way. Gotcha. So how, how to help someone who's got anxiety. Yes. Yeah. Without worsening the anxiety. Yeah, which is the one of the sort of the tricky things that you wouldn't you wouldn't expect. It's kind of counterintuitive that yes. you could help somebody with anxiety and make the anxiety worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you had asked me like why or what was something I was interested in or why I wanted to talk about this. And I totally forgot this article. Oh. I'd actually put this on our yeah. Facebook page. Um, for the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin, but I'd gone to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America conference last month, and the the talks I went to was on failure to launch, so, like, Mm -hmm. adult children having difficulty adulting, basically. Uh And that made me think about, well, a lot of what they talked about was ways that, you know, parents can not accommodate. And, And explain accommodate, so... Not engage in safety behaviors. Not make their lives too easy. So don't reinforce behaviors that are sort of not yes. not pushing themselves, not, right? Yes. So don't. They're self defeating. Ultimately, maybe in the okay. short term feel good, but in the long term, don't uh-huh. move you toward your goals, okay. right? So like the failure so. to launch idea that like kids who are adults but still living at home and don't have whatever adequate jobs like jobs or going to school relationships that, and that kind of stuff yes and and the idea so the idea the idea being that parents are accommodating these behaviors so they're kind of reinforcing and rewarding yes the their grown children for yes sort of moving like forward stay, Not, staying in safety staying in comfort without pushing okay. themselves to grow and develop yes achieving okay. like excuse me achieving <clears throat> like typical Stages, right? Like mm-hmm. when you think of like stages of growth. <clears throat> so how ways that parents are maybe in the short term, it feels like they're helping their kids, mm-hmm. but in the long term, it's keeping their kids from, you know, achieving and accomplishing. Thinking of like Erickson stages of development and such. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and um, so it made me yeah. think of how, and something they talked about there as well is like how similar this is in a lot of the work that we do, even though we don't necessarily work with kids. We work with a lot of anxious people or people with OCD who have loved ones and don't always know how to help or think that they're doing something that is helpful and it actually either is, like, making the client feel ashamed and kind of shutting them down or um, actually, like, short-term feels good, but they're they're reinforcing the idea that the anxiety is dangerous and they should use avoidance. So kind of becoming a safety behavior mm-hmm. for them. So it can, problems can happen on different sides of this, right? Yeah. Too accommodating or too 
dismissive or attacking of the anxiety. Yes. Um, and I've just had a lot of clients recently who have wanted their loved ones, or their loved ones have wanted to come in for a session or two mm-hmm. to talk about, like, how can I help? Like, I don't know when when my loved one is really anxious or struggling with OCD. I don't know what to do, and I yeah. don't want to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, and I imagine you feel pretty helpless, right? If sure. You, someone's really suffering and you care about them, but you don't know what to do to mm-hmm. help. And then, I had totally forgotten, but there was this recent NPR article about um, how parents accommodating children can make children's anxiety worse. And there's this researcher out of Yale who's um, looked at doing just coaching or training for parents as to how to respond to their anxious children and not actually doing... Um, any kind of therapy with the kids themselves and that they've had a lot of success with the children's anxiety reducing mm-hmm. you know both sets like the children who get CBT get better but also the kids who have no therapy and just their parents are getting this training are getting better as well so mm-hmm. thinking that like yeah how I mean obviously for parents it's different than loved ones because parents have a lot more control over their children's lives than like an yeah. adult loved one of an adult sufferer would Mm -hmm. but still a similar idea of what can be helpful versus what can be hurtful Mm -hmm. so I mean since you brought that study up so the the idea is that the parents if they change the way the parents interact with the kids when the kids are anxious then essentially the parents stop reinforcing the anxiety mm-hmm. and the kid's anxiety goes down. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, again, it's not reinforcing counterproductive behavior. Totally. So, like, do you, do you have a, like, from reading it, do you have a sense of, like, what the parents were trained to, like, how they were trained? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, pat on the back, I think it's a lot of the same things that we work on. I am not surprised to that at all. <laughs> when we work with loved ones. Um, right, like, the idea of acknowledging the the anxiety or acknowledging the suffering uh-huh. um, acknowledging the difficulty and not like pretending it shouldn't you know pretending it away or shaming them for it or you shouldn't feel or telling way. them to be quiet or to yeah what's wrong with you suck it up that's or, not real mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense yeah things so acknowledging it um, and offering like support and kindness but not saying, not take, not doing the work for them. Like support and mm-hmm. kindness, but also that like, I know you can handle it. Let's figure out a way together. You can face this in a doable way. You know, like I, I know that you know the are working on things that can be helpful in facing this. Kind of so encouraging them to again change that relationship from avoidance to leaning in, almost like being a bit of a, a cheerleader for mm-hmm. it. Um, and what in the, the study that with the parents and accommodation, what they were talking about was a big piece of that um, when the parents would do the thing, like be a safety behavior, right, remove obstacles, then the kids kind of learned like that anxiety is dangerous and that I'm helpless. Yeah. The only people who can make this better are my parents. Got you. I, I can't no handle this. Mm-hmm. I can't handle so it. I, I have no my parents have told me or shown me that I can't handle it. I need them to come in and save me, or I need to avoid doing the whole thing in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of which are reinforcing the threat system 
which says that it's dangerous. So it's both saying, yes, it is dangerous. Mm -hmm. It is threatening. Look, the evidence is here. My parents, who I look to, to tell me if things are okay or not, are telling me it's not okay. Mm -hmm. Because I I remember there's that sort of that very famous old research about um, learning... Uh, learning what to be afraid of based on observing what the parents are afraid mm. of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and this idea of, like, self-efficacy, right, that I don't have the ability to do this, mm-hmm. almost that, like, I am ineffective or I don't have control or I don't have um, agency, mm-hmm. right, is something that it also teaches kids um, or loved ones, even if you offer the reassurance or if you do something to, like, take away the anxiety or fix it for them that's that's part of the message that it gives them it might feel good in the short term of like oh I helped relieve their suffering but in the long term it gives this message that you can't do it yeah. you are not strong enough or smart enough mm-hmm. or which is you know why we have exposure right <clears throat> oh yeah that like, we've talked about like the yeah, the, like, the best whole, pieces of it point of exposure yeah it's like you face it and you learn that you can, yeah. you learn that you can handle it, and that yeah, that nothing bad happens. You can handle it, but there is that whole extra piece of the pride you feel, mm-hmm. and the, the confidence and that efficacy of I wasn't I dominated by it. I I got through it. Yeah, it shifts that power differential with like anxiety is powerful and I am not yeah. to like I have I'm strong. I am powerful. Yeah. This is not more powerful than me. And so what you learn when your loved one gives you reassurance or fixes it for you mm-hmm. is that like I am not powerful yeah I can't handle it mm-hmm. yeah either my loved one is powerful or anxiety is powerful but mm-hmm. not me which means yeah think about what happens next time you get anxious right mm-hmm. what I'm gonna what learn it? is that I gotta I better avoid or I better seek out yeah reassurance or help find the person that's gonna yeah, give you the reassurance or help you get through it or take care of the situation for you Yes. So, um, yeah, when I have clients come in, a loved ones of clients come in with them, you know, I, I try to make it pretty clear, like, this is not couples counseling where, like, the, the relationship is the client. Like, mm-hmm. my client is the client, yeah. and we are talking about ways that you can be more, you know, helpful mm-hmm. to the client. Because, right, like, people want help. I think also, like, that's a big piece is for loved ones they feel helpless and they don't know what to do mm-hmm. or how to help or it feels like you're being mean if somebody asks you for reassurance and yeah, you don't, and you give, don't it give it right. right it feels very cruel mm-hmm. um i have personally like struggled with this with with friends and loved ones who have anxiety or ocd and have sought reassurance that it is hard it's hard not to give it to people. It's hard because it feels, it feels yeah, mean. You, yeah, you see them suffering and you yeah. want to feel better. Yes, it feels like you're a jerk if you're like, I'm not going to help you. And so coaching of like, how can you help them to lean into it, but also in a kind way, right? There's a difference of like, figure it out or just do it. <laughs> yeah, so which is interesting, right? Because like when you get into... You know, it's very commonly people will have exposure for homework. So they've got to go, for homework, regularly go face something that their threat system tells them is too dangerous and that they can't handle. And for a lot of people, they do have, you know, loved one, like a partner, family, someone who will know that this is happening. And 
yeah, it is. I mean, it is kind of a struggle, right? Because we know we're telling them to go do something that hurts them on purpose because it's going to help. Mm-hmm. Um, Short-term pain, long-term gain. Yeah, whereas it might look like torture if you don't understand why it's happening. Um, but to sort of know what's going on and to see it in action, like people will ask, well, what, what do I, what do I do in this situation? Because it, you know, um, it can be it can be useful to have a s- support person as you are doing exposures. I mean, like when we do exposures with people, oh, yeah. they've got a support person right there who's mm-hmm. helping them face it. Mm-hmm. So having a loved one. Um, that can be a really nice, beneficial way of helping make the exposure a bit, a bit more, kind of palatable. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, sort of, there's a good way of helping with exposure, mm-hmm. which is, I don't mean what you say, but for me, it's like somewhere along the lines of like, you're encouraging, like you can do this. This is for a good reason. Um, remember why? Like just, just keep going. Just like sort of stick to it, you'll get through this, like that kind of stuff. Where yeah, it's like cheerleader. Yeah, it's cheerleader, but it's it's supportive and it's like keeping someone moving. It's not saying there's no risk; you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's saying you're doing this for a reason. Let's let's follow the plan and keep going. Mm-hmm. You're not guaranteeing this is going to go away. Like oh, it's you know this is the end of it. You're going to be fine, or this is going to be yeah. You're going to feel great once it's done. It's going to be so easy, or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So or it's going to work out, and nothing yeah. not bad you're is going to happen. You're not trying to verbally say something that gets rid of their anxiety in the moment. Mm-hmm. You're trying to say something that keeps them motivated, motivated, and moving forward despite the, the anxiety they're mm-hmm. feeling. And I think a loved one can really help with that, but um, they need to know that this is what's happening, and that's a good thing to say. Otherwise understandably you just see someone you care about suffering mm-hmm. and you tell them oh well that's enough you can stop there or something or or maybe that is dangerous or why would you want to yeah lick a toilet <laughs> yes something totally. so strange or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why do you need to do that mm-hmm. yeah that's weird or that's that's uncomfortable or what have you yes yeah if they don't know the rationale for why yeah so you like, do this. That can be a supportive way of helping for someone when they're it's part of an exposure. Being help them encouraging and, you know, the support of I'm here with you while you're doing it. I'm not trying to get rid of your anxiety for you. I'm just supportive of you while you're doing your planned homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean that's what I think of my role when I am working with clients as they're doing exposures. It's like as a cheerleader, like you can do it. Keep going. You're doing awesome. Mm-hmm. I think I say those phrases yeah. <laughs> over and in you know not a rote way, but like yeah. in a genuine way. But like yeah, like this mm-hmm. is it's well, a hard thing to that's do. That's the message, and I think too, like you, you and I, like we know so well, this is helpful, mm-hmm. and it's really painful. Yeah. So you like your empathetic's like. Having done a ton of exposures myself, I know it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I also know how helpful it is, both from my own and all of my sort of clinical experience. Totally. So for us, I think it's easy. It's very it's easy to, to do that. It's very helpful. The loved one, they, have pro- they haven't seen all this in action. No, this is new and weird. And right, this is like very yeah. counterintuitive to how we, totally. our brains are set up. We are set up to avoid pain, mm-hmm. avoid discomfort in the short term. And try to relieve and reassure people. Mm-hmm. And make so, them feel better. Exactly. And so to like see somebody on purpose bringing on pain, it yeah. seems very strange. 
And a lot of times we come up with really creative ways for having them face their fears. Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes it can be that too. Like, why on earth would you, yeah, do something so odd? Like, why would you Mm -hmm. choose to do that on purpose? So I do think that's when it can be helpful to give some education Mm-hmm. to loved ones like have them come in so they understand why we're doing what we're doing totally. and what we're doing what totally. we're doing and yeah. give the rationale understand, understand the, the, the background to why you're doing that type of treatment too mm-hmm. and I think what that helps with too is um, like when you talk to people if they're anxious they what they don't want is for the other person to like be anxious <laughs> be anxious too like oh that is maybe you shouldn't do it that is mm-hmm. dangerous well something bad could happen mm-hmm. you could get some you might you have a heart sick. attack you or, could have a yeah. heart attack is it, you should like or to be um just panicked about how anxious they are mm-hmm. like they're, they're seeing a loved one anxious and then they're worried well what if we can't get rid of this what how do I calm you down like this that um and you know, on the other side of it, you see someone who you're looking as your support, and they're getting really anxious about mm-hmm. it. Then that's going to just ramp you up. Sure. Yeah. So. Part of how it's helpful in seeing us or having us there is the client sees us be like, seen this a million times. Totally. We've been through it so many times. We know how it goes off. We know yes. how it comes down. And yes. We know what it looks like. So yes. The more that you work on tolerating it, it seems really scary to them and to us. But like, we know it's scary, but. Yeah. You've had experience with it. Yeah, it's fine. So, how helpful so it's, it is. And I think that is helpful to look and see someone who's like, oh, they're not acting like this is really dangerous. Whatever the situation is, it's not a dangerous one. So I, I think that can be helpful of like, yeah. Being steady, being calm, um, because then it, it's, it's a way of helping to support. Yeah, so if you are somebody who gets overly anxious, you might not be the person to be the cheerleader while they're doing <laughs> their exposures. <laughs> might be helpful to have somebody else be the, the cheerleader or the supportive person. Yeah. <laughs> or else, hopefully, you know, with enough, with enough like, knowledge of what's happening, you can make the choice oh, to mm-hmm. stay steady. <clears throat> totally. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, something in my throat. Um, I did think it was interesting... Uh, so just in reading through that article, that mm-hmm. that was like an, I'm sure it was published other places, but the way I found it was through this NPR story. Yeah. Um, it was this Eli Leibovitz psychologist in Yale that he looked at um, doing an experiment of just so how CBT is found to be the most efficacious right therapy in treating anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked at like one group where they did CBT in kids and one group where they just did this training for parents. The kids got no therapy, but the parents learned this training of like mm-hmm. how to not be accommodating, but instead to be yeah. like actively supportive and... And encourage them to do exposures, yes. I'm guessing, and face, yes, face, face their fears. fears. Yeah. Um, and incrementally, right, it was like mm-hmm. starting small and acknowledging the difficulties of what they're facing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they found it was pretty similar that the anxiety in the kids reduced in a similar rate between the two groups. So it was, it, which like kind of obviously different with kid with kids and parents than yeah. with like adults, but like really shows that yeah how how much you are encouraged to face the fear mm-hmm. and how much you are not given the opportunity to avoid mm-hmm. how powerful that mm-hmm. is I really think yeah 
yeah, I mean, yeah, having yeah, having people who are encouraging you in general to face fears because I mean, this is one of the I mean, it's kind of the basic principle yeah. around exposure is if you avoid things you're afraid of, the fear gets worse. Mm-hmm. If you face things you're afraid of, it gets better. Mm-hmm. So to have just, I mean, a fam, I mean, it's almost like a family culture set up yeah. where the family culture is encouraging you this do. model of facing fears. Yes. Of like, it's you can very, do hard things. Yeah. You, you know, I'm here for you. That's a lot of it. Like, the things that we talked about of like yeah. acknowledging that this is hard, mm-hmm. but that you can do it. Yeah, empathizing. I'm here for you, mm-hmm. but I I know you can you can do this. You got this yeah. kind of thing that like yes, which makes me of course it's you know my jam makes me think of like this is a lot of similar stuff as self compassion. Oh, self compassion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of like acknowledging and accepting yeah. this is as it is, right? As opposed to like it shouldn't be this way, mm-hmm. or I feel shame for having this suffering or this struggle and so I want to pretend like it isn't what it is, right? Like saying, like, you shouldn't feel this way. Dismissing, yeah. Yes, being like dismissing. Dismissing or criticizing for having it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? That doesn't make any sense. Or no other kid struggles with this or no other yeah. wife or husband. Or this is, this is annoying to me or inconvenient yes. to me or any of that. Like, what's of... wrong with you? Um, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't logical, the thing that you yeah. had brought up before we started the podcast yes like when people go the route of like this isn't logical yeah which is funny yeah this is the other side of the so the, there's the accommodating too much side which mm-hmm. reinforces the anxiety this is all on the other side of dismissing or ignoring or criticizing mm-hmm. someone for having the anxiety right which when think of like self, from a self-compassion standpoint is yeah. right increasing shame mm-hmm. which when we increase shame, it causes us to shut down. Yeah. We don't want to like keep moving forward. We don't want to mm-hmm. um, take steps towards our goals. Like we want to shut down and retreat. Yeah. And so yes, when you are dismissive of somebody's experience, it's not mm-hmm. like they're like, oh yeah, this isn't logical. I'm just gonna do this thing that's terrifying to me because it doesn't make logical sense. No, they get it. Like people are not stupid. People are coming in because they know it's not. Yes. Not a logical exactly. issue. Exactly. Yeah. If people thought like this was logical, they wouldn't come in for therapy. Yeah, that's that's one of the screening questions. Is this is this fear excessive? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like people are coming in and being like, I am anxious about something that makes total sense. I'm really afraid of juggling chainsaws. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because you much up your hands off. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's coming in. Not coming in for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They recognize like this is not mm. this is not rational. But yeah, but, but I guess your point right is that the the being self compassionate is like not dismissing and attacking no. yourself for experiencing it. But you have the same principle like for other people yes, in your life, right? The compassion piece, right? Like what is helpful in not accommodating but also yes, not dismissing. I think that's a good point because sometimes people will hear about exposure or this idea of yes. not avoiding something and because they're not feeling the feelings of mm-hmm. discomfort at the time, they get a little too, like... Do it. Face yeah, it. Yeah. Sort of, like, intense about, mm-hmm. well, no, you just got to do it. Go on, do it. Like push people into it, which is, like, it's sort of, like, taking the idea but uh, a little too, too much. Too much. So I actually have definitely had loved ones be on that side of things yeah. with their OCD or anxious sufferer. And I, to be honest, on the IOCDF 
website, they have like a page for loved ones. Mm. And one of the things they do is has this video that I think is very good at showing like this is difficult, you know, um, this is a really hard, scary thing when you're asking people to do exposure. But then they give all these things like don't accommodate, don't accommodate, don't accommodate, don't let them get away with anything, which kind of feels like yeah, a little it feels bit a little um, bit like that, right? Yeah, it's like, like pushing too much and it yes, triggers all this sort of shame, yes, criticism it's like shame stuff. based. I think so too. Yeah, so I'm like, ooh, like part of this feels yeah. good, but part of this feels very. It's yeah. a little too hard, yeah. hard line, right? It's exactly. a little too hard line. And it's like us when we do exposure it's not like we go to like the hardest thing first we do like this hierarchy yeah. we start with like what feels doable mm-hmm. because if you went to like the hardest thing ever yeah maybe they'd do it once but yeah. they wouldn't keep going because it would feel so overwhelming totally. which one one of my my sort of uh mantra guiding principles is no giant leaps oh i love yeah. it i think across most of across most therapy i found and relationships and all kinds of stuff. Sure. No giant leaps. Mm-hmm. The best steps are small, regular, incremental ones. Yeah, which is true for all this too. Yes. And like the best, the best goal is one step from where you are. Yes. Right. And I think this applies to this stuff too. As a loved one, don't say, "Well, you're not supposed to." Yes. Do this. So you're let's have do the hardest one, and we'll just jump to this. Yeah. Thing. Too much. Too much. Or like your therapist said, you're supposed to be doing exposure all the time. This is, do it now, do it now. Yeah, push. I don't, <laughs> like, yeah, like having this with friends who had any like social anxiety. If you had somebody who was like, like, oh no, you just do it. And they start trying to push you, uh, like to go. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Anxiety. You know, we don't do exposure in that way. It's no. like the person has to say yes. Yeah, willing. Yeah, this is willing. what I was talking about when I first meet with clients. I always say like. I'm never going to do, we're never going to do something you are not willing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, we work very collaboratively, like, we're working together, so it, it is, yeah. it doesn't work. We'll like suggest things that you don't difficult want to do. Difficult but doable. That's what I'd say all the time. I'm like, what's yeah. difficult but doable? Okay. That's that's a good phrase, yeah. Mm-hmm. like that, okay. I say, yeah, because it's, it is, it's pushing yourself, but it is pushing yourself in a doable way. Something yeah. you feel willing to do, right? Like, that's totally. what so much of the act work is with anxiety is like willingness you don't always mm-hmm. have to have you know the more willing you are that that yeah. has a big um yeah, the less suffering of, there is mm-hmm, right the big a big predictor in in outcomes of mm-hmm. like if you are willing to experience anxiety if you are yeah. willing to face the fear you are much more likely you know even if you don't have this like beautiful habituation curve yeah you're that's still changing the dynamic mm-hmm. yeah definitely so i also think i think you referenced this a, a, like a few minutes ago but that idea of like is like the fear rational so again this is like one of those really common dynamic issues with another person interacting with someone who's got anxiety is I think it's our basic way that we used to try to deal with the world is logical and so this idea of like well you're having this fear you're anxious but I'm looking at it and it's not logical and the idea of like, well, of course, the first the first line that you go to is well. Let's let me tell you how it's not logical, and you shouldn't be anxious right now. Sure. Which uh, I always refer to as dad therapy. <laughs> it's like everyone's dad's way of dealing with anxiety. It's like there's nothing to be anxious about. You've got nothing to be depressed about. Think about this thing. You know, like it's and it's like it's well meaning. <laughs> yes. But what it what actually it ends up a lot of times translating into is 
therefore don't have it. Yeah. Or therefore just like just repress it all. Yeah. Don't express it to me. It's shameful. I don't want to hear about it it, because it doesn't make sense. And there's this idea of like, well, well, don't you understand that it doesn't make sense? Like the idea that there's a logical problem and like what we end up talking about, right, is that this is not a rational brain problem. Disorder. If this was a ra- rational brain disorder... You wouldn't then, be in my office. Yeah, you'd be <laughs> figuring out something different, or you would already have thought it through and done a little logical reasoning and be like, oh, well, now I no longer feel all this overwhelming emotional discomfort in this situation. But the reason it doesn't work that way is because the problem is in the emotional brain. Mm-hmm. And the emotional brain, you can't just go in there and logically turn it off. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Well, and that's always why clients are like, cognitive therapy, I love it, right? Like when we do the group, they'd be like, let's do more cognitive therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to rational, like rationalize my way out of this. And yeah. Like, it's it's a it's wonderful piece help, of treatment. Yes. Like, However, it's you, not it. you can't dad therapy your way mm-hmm. out of this. It won't turn the emotional brain off. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's really useful, I think, for, for a loved one to understand. This is not a rational brain issue. It's an emotional brain issue. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to change the emotional brain. So the fact that it doesn't logically... It isn't logically dangerous doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it matters in that that's a good reason to exposure. Yeah. But it's not going to get rid of it, and it yeah. won't make the person not anxious. Totally. Like it's you, um, when I first start with clients who are working on... Mm-hmm like identifying fears and I tell them like for homework start identifying when you're anxious I'm like if you come back here and you're giving me all these things that like make sense I don't want to hear it that's not anxiety yeah like it should it should sound way out there it should sound like weird because otherwise that's not anxiety otherwise you're not tapping because that, that's really what it is right we're not asking what is your rational, rational brain, brain afraid of see. Yeah, we're asking what like your emotional brain is seeing danger mm-hmm because it's picked up something at some point and it it perceives danger. It doesn't really it doesn't matter on an emotional level whether it's true or not. Sure. It needs the emotional brain needs to to face that situation and learn through experience whether it's dangerous mm-hmm. or not. Thus exposure and behavioral experiments. Yes. So so for the loved one, they need to know it's not expected to be a rational fear. Mm-hmm. But what I what I find is helpful is for the loved one to understand, and it helps with compassion. For the loved one to understand, like, think of a time when you were really scared. Yeah. Think of a time when you were really anxious. That empathy piece. In, yeah, in that moment, that was your emotional brain lit up. That's your threat system lit up, reacting to, to the danger. And it courses through your body. You feel all the feelings. You get all the thoughts, the change in attention. You didn't purposely turn it on. It just turned yeah. on by itself. It turned on. That was the system turning on. Yeah, just on its own. And that feeling that you had at the moment, that is how this person is feeling. So even though both of you, when calm, know that it's not rational, that pain is what the person is going through in the moment. Mm-hmm. So you can empathize with how they're feeling because you felt it. It may to you have felt like, well, it, you know, it was rational, but that's a different issue. The emotional brain is turned on. You know what it's like. It's really painful. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, that I think helps. Yeah. Helps with the, like, the dismissing or the being judgmental or saying you shouldn't feel it or you don't, you don't get to choose. 
Yep. And you know, like, imagine what it would be like if that turned on at inconvenient times. Yeah. That's really what everyone's going through that we're working with. Well, that's the thing. On the IOCDF website, they have this little video of a therapist or a psychologist explaining it to loved ones, and they said, which is like a, a, I guess, experiment that, like, they've... Diana and I have done it on different conferences, but they said, like, now take out a piece of paper and write down the name of somebody you love very dearly and then write, I hope they, in the next week, they die a terrible and painful death. And fold it up and put it back in your pocket and don't do anything with it. Walk around with it for a week. And that even people, right, like, who don't experience OCD feel very uncomfortable with this, right? Even though you might know logically... Me writing this on a piece right, of paper is not going to cause that person you to die. You don't control the future with what you write. Totally. Yeah. And just because you wrote doesn't mean you wish they would die. Yeah. Right? All these logical pieces. Yeah. But it is that same thing that it causes a lot of pain and discomfort mm-hmm. to, like, and some magical thinking, right? Totally. Of, like, if I write this down. And so that that is what it's like doing exposures for people with OCD is that like even though I might know logically mm-hmm. like this is gonna this is okay this doesn't make sense there is this piece of me like emotionally that this is lighting up my amygdala this is dangerous totally. this is dangerous yeah so that that one I like the like now don't accommodate at all that part feels very like shaming yeah <laughs> yeah so pieces at work mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, but yeah I think that kind of stuff of like yeah now, slow one, you understand the mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah. You get that it doesn't have to be rational. Yes, acknowledge that this is hard. Yeah, because right? it, it is. It's really, it's really hard. And you can be sort of calm and steady and encouraging in not avoiding mm-hmm. starting to move forward, but move forward in small steps in a planned way. Not being pushy, not criticizing, yeah. not dismissing, not downplaying, um, and giving the person space to experience what they're experiencing and feel what they feel. Yeah, it's tough because you've got to sit with their yeah. the pain of watching them suffer. So you, you have to have space for their feelings, which is being compassionate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It is hard because it like you have the empathy. It it takes some like prefrontal cortex, like future thought. Because, like, in the moment, I see this person I love suffering, and I want... That's painful for me to see mm-hmm. the person I love suffering. And so recognizing that, like, just because this is painful in the moment, knowing that I'm working on this tolerating my own short-term pain in the service of helping them long-term, just like they are working on tolerating their own, like, short-term pain in the service of this long-term benefit. Totally. yeah. It's like a shared experience of it. It's yeah, hard. It's it hard. Is, it is. And I feel like it is e- a little easier for us as therapists because when they're coming in and paying us and sitting for this, you know, 50 minutes, yeah. they are, like, really giving you permission to say, okay, let's do this kind uh-huh. of torture. Let's do this work yeah. together. Whereas when they're asking their loved one for reassurance, right, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of... It's a little more difficult. Like, it's saying, yeah. please give me accommodation. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about reassurance? Because I'm not sure if we've discussed that before. And it's one of those really, like, oh. counterintuitive yeah. things. Uh, I think, like, an easy example is, like, somebody with, like, illness anxiety, right? Saying, like, I have a headache, but that's not a tumor, right? 
or somebody with OCD saying to a loved one, um, I, I maybe didn't clean this knife well enough. What it, you know, it doesn't mean there's salmonella on it and I'm contaminating our whole family, right? Or like something is like, a, I'm trying to think of like a better one for that. But um, I washed my hands well enough, right? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like yeah, asking I wash it for this long. Yes, that was good enough, right? That killed like, any germs, I'm, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried maybe that wasn't for long enough. And I'll be like, oh, no, no, it's good. That's mm-hmm. plenty of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, I'm trying to think, like, what's a good social anxiety reassurance piece? Mm, I mean, I feel like it doesn't come up as much in social anxiety because then you got to talk about your social anxiety. Sure. Um, I mean, may, maybe in terms of, like, oh, did I do okay? Yeah, I was going to say, like, rumination. Or, like, oh, I, I, I'm so... I screwed that up so bad. No, yes, you didn't. You exactly. Didn't, you know? like rumination, like, oh, when we were at that party, was it weird that I said this? Totally, yeah. Yeah, texting people in the morning, like, mm-hmm. oh, I was so well, I was so awkward last night. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, no, you weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so why, why is... So that, like, right, has them short-term reduce the anxiety or discomfort, but in the long term, they're going to just keep coming to you or learn that they can't tolerate it, learn that they can't face it, learn that it's something that, like, it is something that is dangerous, and I need to turn to you to tell me that, like, it was okay, I avoided the danger. Totally. And I, I think especially for reassurance-seeking, like, a, as a way of avoiding, I think of it in terms of, like, um, it's difficulty tolerating the, the discomfort, the emotional discomfort, because a lot of times it's like, well, I had a thought, mm-hmm. or an image pop in, and... I'm going to get this feeling off right now. Yeah. I, I want to, like, that idea is scary, and I can't handle the discomfort, so I want to ask you something so you tell me, no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And then I feel okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it feels like, I mean, especially, like, a, just the emotional discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, what, yeah, what you're teaching people is that they can't... They can't handle the feelings. Handle it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's too uncomfortable. It won't go away. You can't survive it. And if they did do the thing that they're afraid of, that that would be dangerous. So, no, you didn't do this thing you're afraid of. Or, no, it is okay. And so they don't get to tolerate, like, or see that. Yeah. And and it's also, like, um, you're reinforcing the threat system. So, like, the threat system kicks in when it thinks there's something dangerous. Yeah, so you're saying it is dangerous. Yeah, and if you act as though what that thought it hit you with is accurate and important, Mm -hmm. like, if you do what the threat system tells you to do, then you were basically saying, thanks, threat system. Mm-hmm. You spotted another thing for me. Please stay active and keep looking at... So you're basically like reinforcing it to be more and more vigilant. Mm-hmm. You know, if, like, if someone's like, oh, scared of something, you're like, yes, it's totally scary. You're right. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. Then the next one, oh, well, I better keep on the lookout. Whereas if you teach it, no, it's not a big deal. Yeah. It just it, it passes, then it calms down. Like, you're teaching it doesn't need to be as vigilant. Yeah. Even if you said the wrong thing... You can handle it. Yeah. Everyone says the wrong thing mm-hmm. five times a week. Yep. And we all keep going. Mm-hmm. I often, I've done this one sometimes for, more for loved ones than for, I mean, I guess I have for clients too, but when they, when somebody wants reassurance or asks for reassurance, to kind of slow the process down because it's hard to not do that quick knee jerk, yeah. it's okay, you're okay, yeah. peace is um, uh, we'll often say, like, what's, what's anxiety predicting right now or what's anxiety telling you? Just it slows it down. It helps mm-hmm. engage 
Right, the more you logical part of the brain. You detach a little bit, mm-hmm. and you're observing, well, what is, what is going on here? Yes, it's kind of doing that, that first step of CBT, of, like, identifying thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then it can be, like, if they're like, well, anxiety's telling me, whatever. I gave our whole family salmonella, and we're all going to die tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, what, you know, how can we tolerate that? Or what is anxiety telling you need to do? I need to go clean everything, or I need to text this person and apologize for making fool of myself last night at the party. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, how can we, can we wait five minutes, or can, you know, do we have to do that right now, or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's something else we could do yeah. to work on not giving in immediately to what anxiety wants? And that can be helpful, because that slows down the process a little yeah. bit and puts it back in the other person's court mm-hmm. so it's not like you have to solve the problem for them that's interesting yeah so I think uh, yeah you also could uh, some people will do this what would your therapist say yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's, so that's always a good one you know what would your therapist say if, if you went and talked to Marianne right now like what do you think her response would be mm-hmm. they know <laughs> mm-hmm. yes yeah um, yeah, uh, I mean, I think it is important. I think this is like a PSA is helpful, right? Because like, yes, we work with a lot of anxiety and OCD sufferers, but there are also lots of people who it doesn't happen just in a vacuum, right? Yeah. There are a lot of people who, right, like can, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, what word I don't want to use. Can have an effect on their anxiety or can influence uh-huh. the anxiety. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's helpful to like think of it as like something that doesn't just happen right in a vacuum. Mm, okay. And so it's empowering the loved one. I mean empowering the client but also like empowering their their culture, their yeah. support I, system. I, I will say sort of maybe similar to that. Um, the Educating a loved one is the whole point of this episode. Educating a loved one on how to help, how to not, you know, be accommodating and how to not also be dismissive or attacking. Um, that is really, like, really useful and helpful. People oftentimes don't know any of this information. Yeah. And there are some people who are just not going to be your support person. Sure, yeah. So there's this whole thing of, like, you've got to pick the right person. Yep. Because some people, it just the way the personality works fun. or their understanding of things or their personal insight or mm-hmm. they're just not going to be able to do it. That's not who you should turn to. Yeah. And so so think about who's the person that, like, who you will contact, who, who you will choose to do it with. Um, because that can make a big difference. Totally. The right person or the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just not everybody's skill set. Yeah. People have different strengths. Mm-hmm. And so, as opposed to, like... It should be a different way. Like, it is mm-hmm. what it is. So how can I, you know, do what's best as opposed to what should be, what's most helpful? Not, yeah. Not, yeah. Because um, sometimes I've had to have conversations with people about, well, you maybe just shouldn't be discussing this stuff with a cert- this certain person in your life because they can't really get it and they're so drawn by their own stuff that they have to act congruently to the way they see things mm-hmm. and that ends up hurting you and so for some people it's, well, just don't talk about it with them yeah. you've got a different person to talk about it with totally. different person that will help with the exposures Ooh. there's a big truck trucks happening out there <laughs> don't get a lot of trucks in the, the car park out here <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Anything yeah. else you wanted to add? That, I mean, I'm trying to think. That was the... That's a lot to... It's a lot for loved ones to absorb. Sure. <laughs> or for people to remember to pass on. Yes. Oh, like resources... I do think in general, iocdf.org, internationalocdfoundation.org, and um, adaa.org, Anxiety and Depression Association of America.org, same track, um, are good resources. They also have a lot of stuff for, like, loved ones and support okay. people. Yeah. Um, I know you had said there was, like, an Abramowitz book that had some stuff, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the... There is. I think it's the the hypochondriasis yeah. um, advances in psychotherapy. I don't see people tracking that one down to get that resource. But I'm sure that, yeah. right, that's a big piece of it. Is hypochondriasis, a lot of times, illness, anxiety, people are seeking reassurance mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, do it, you know, really wanting yeah. this. I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, if, if someone, like, if you can figure out from listening to this, here's the things that I think would work for me. Because some of this is individualized. Mm-hmm. Like, what would be helpful to me? Then you can, but before you get anxious, you can yeah. pick the right person and then have the discussion yeah. with them. And say, here's here's the five things. You know, here's here's what here's what helps. Here's what doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a discussion when you're not currently. Yeah. In, in a panic or very anxious. Yes. Um, yes. Acknowledge that this is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, be encouraging and supportive of me to tolerate some of the difficulty. Yep. Um, don't, don't tell them. Don't try to make it go away. Yeah. Don't, don't try to force anyone into anything. Be, be there. Be calm. Like I know I, I talked to someone about this last night and I was saying one of the really helpful things was just saying, I'm going to be here with you yeah. through this. Yes. I'm not going to leave. You're not doing this alone. Yeah. I understand it's hard and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yes. And I think like figuring out like for you, like what, what is it that you, you want from, a, from somebody and then be able to have that conversation. That feels really valuable to me. And I think loved ones, right? Like kind of the point you had of they feel, they don't know. They feel the yeah. loss. I think it's really empowering too when they're like, "Oh, well, now I have a tool. Now mm-hmm. I know like what I can do that actually helps." It can feel, you know, give them a sense of control and have them um, mm-hmm. like feel like they have a skill and some power in this too. Totally. So I think that's something that like because they don't like not feeling effective. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it speaks to like they why they give reassurance, right? Is because they want to help, and so here's something that actually helps. And so yeah. I think that piece of it, like. I have, I mean, maybe it's skewed because who actually comes in to my office to be, you know, a supportive person and learn more about how they can be supportive. Yeah. That's probably, like, skewed numbers there. But I, every single time I have worked with a loved one, um, that they've really appreciated knowing, like, well, what can I actually say or do that will be helpful? Yeah, totally. They've always have said, this was really great. This, this felt really good. Um, there are other things Uh, the article I found was on NPR about accommodating children I think that's Mm -hmm. a helpful one to even if you're not working with kids or your loved one isn't a child I think there's some there were some helpful tips in there too about like how to um, do some of the same work for for a loved one without being accommodating Mm -hmm. Um, thank you and any other thoughts or questions you, our listening community, 
might have for us, please contact yeah. us and let us know. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, we have a YouTube yes. channel, so we are not just, this is just a podcast, but like today. Yeah. Um, today, sadly, no, here. no video today. We didn't have yeah. to Skype it. Um, but yes, we are also doing this on yeah, go, YouTube. Go on the YouTube, which it's under my name, so just look up Thomas Williamson PhD, and you'll find the YouTube channel where you can look at us most of the podcasts. Um, and my email address is Marianne at anxietyaustin.com. Yes. <laughs> is that a new I email address? Like, you I sound feel like it's very unsure of I that. I feel like I feel like some of the anxious uh, ACA email addresses have changed. I think that's still mine. Really? I think so. It's, that's weird. Okay. Huh. But okay. so yes, I, and I never actually email myself. So yeah, <laughs> I, I get you. Yeah, and and I am still going to have a website. <laughs> By the time you listen to this, for all you know, I have a website at thomaslithiuman.com. Exactly. in the future. Living in it the is future. being made. I, I can only assume it's being made. Um, or has been made by the time you're listening to this. Yeah, yeah, this. yeah. Sure. Surely it has, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're always open to, to new new topics, and especially if you want to hear about things, then we'll, we you know, it's it's good for us. That, like, we, we like having that. Yeah, otherwise we, we just talk like, about what we want to talk about. Yeah, whatever we're in the mood so for. selfish. Um, yeah. And please like us. Oh, yeah. And L- like us, us and subscribe to subscribe. things and rate things. and All that stuff. Anything that involves doing a thing, that would be... Do it. <laughs> Any, anything that you think would be beneficial, please do that. Please do that. Because yeah, we don't even know enough, well enough to what, what to ask. Clearly, we have yeah. our skill set yes. and the like, technology piece of all of this is not it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably know how to do it better than we do. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah.